supposed to start. <laughs> Hello to you all. Hello choir. It has been a long time. Good to see you. You know, I do live at a place called Freedom Village. And uh, for five months, I've been under their protective custody. <laughs> but praise the Lord, nobody has uh, gotten the virus there. They have this simple philosophy. If you don't go anywhere, you can't bring it back. And so I'm on leave right now with permission. And uh, they're probably keeping an eye on me. I told them I'd have to take my mask off to preach. So, uh, but I'll wear it all the rest of the time. Good to see all of you. Man, it's been a while. Good to see you. Thanks for coming to church today. We, uh, this month, are talking about our core values. Things that this church really believes in, and we want you to believe in them. In fact, we think they're so important they could maybe mold your life, how you live your life. We talked about being anchored in the Word. You know, there's a lot of uh, general public opinion out there. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of people who say this is right and this is right. Anchored in the Word. It'll keep you from drifting. And today it's easy to drift because everybody's saying you ought to do this, you ought to do that. This is right, this is right. Last week we talked about known by love. We don't want to just talk about love. We don't want you to know all about love. We want you to actually practice love. So that when somebody comes to this church, they run into kindness that they've never run into. They run into respect and acceptance and appreciation. As you practice on one another every Sunday, then a visitor hits that. We want it to be such a different place. They walk away saying, wow, I've never, I've never experienced any place like that. Known by love. Because that's what Jesus said we'd be known by. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul came along and said it this way. Anyone who is new in Christ is a brand new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now listen to this. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Peter got into the act. Remember last spring we were talking about Peter's writings to the early church, and one of the last things he said was, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then it was James, the brother of Jesus, who kind of summed it up for us and said, you're to be doers of the word, not just hearers, not deceiving 
yourselves. There's a little phrase I want to teach you today, and I want you to uh, actually practice it. It's just one phrase with two commas in the middle of it. Uh, the first part says, since Jesus came, can you say that? Since Jesus came, if you're at home, same thing, since Jesus came, if you're in your car, since Jesus came, if you're in the choir, since Jesus came, thank you, and called my name, I've never been the same. Can we put it all together? Let's try it. Since Jesus came and called my name, I've never been the same. Is that true? Is it true? Has salvation changed you? Because you were rescued to reach. That's the purpose. You were rescued to reach other people and to rescue them. At least to tell them how to be rescued. There was a Jewish man who had a pretty routine life. It was okay life. It wasn't going anywhere. He did the same thing every day. If I asked him uh, what would be your five-year plan, he would probably say, well, five years from now I'll be doing the same thing. I get up late in the afternoon. I go fishing at night. And uh, I fish all night, and in the morning I bring it in and sell it. And if I catch some fish, I have some money, I buy some food, we eat. If I don't catch any fish, I don't have any money, I don't buy any food, we eat leftovers. That's my life. That's the way it's going. Then Jesus came, called his name. He was never the same. He became a disciple. He actually walked on the water with Jesus, the only the only person that's ever done that. He did it. That guy who had that routine life. Maybe some of you identify with that routine part. He, um, he preached a sermon in Jerusalem that 3,000 people responded to. He was in a prison, uh, locked up, and an angel, whoa, can you imagine, came and got him and walked him out of that prison. He was one of the fathers of the early church. If we said to him, Peter, what, what happened? He would say, I, I don't have any idea. I just responded to the invitation. That's where it starts, folks. Jesus was the one who said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open that door... I will come in. He might be talking about your heart. He might be talking about opportunities. There was a Gentile man who lived right across the lake from Peter. He had made a bad mistake, a bad decision at some point in his life. We don't know when, but he had gotten involved in some satanic stuff. And the devil had gotten a foothold in his life. And... Um, when the devil does that, some of you know, you've done some things that you say, man, I know God didn't want me to do it, and it left a scar in me. Some of you have gotten out of that. This man didn't. And the devil started bringing demons in, and pretty soon the demons took control of the man. And he was hurting others, and he was hurting himself, and he was out of control. And back in that day, they didn't have any place for those people, so they chained him up out in the cemetery. But they couldn't hold him there. Those demons would come and he would rip the chains. He would rip his clothes off. 
He would rip himself with rocks and with bone. And then Jesus came one day. Not only called his name, but called the name of every one of those demons. Called them right out of him. Threw them into some pigs. The pigs ran down, ran into the lake. He was never the same. The people came out to the village, from the village, to see what happened to their pigs. They didn't really care about the guy. What happened to their pigs? And they see the man sitting, talking to Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Man, had he changed. And then he says to Jesus, when Jesus packs up and is ready to leave, he says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to stay here. Go back to your village and tell them what happened. And he did it. Not only to his village, but all the villages around there. And the Bible says the people were amazed. They marveled. If we could say to him, what, what happened to you? He would say, I, I, I don't have any idea. All I did is respond and do what Jesus told me to do. I wanted to go with him, but he said to stay here. I obeyed and stayed. Jesus says that anybody who loves me will obey me. Obedience is an important thing. And maybe there are people that have not been reached by you since you got rescued because of that problem of obedience. Uh, what would they say? What would people think? Maybe I would fail. Maybe they'll ask questions I can't answer. You know, that kind. There was a Samaritan woman who had an addiction. Some of you identify with that. A couple things all addicting people have in common. They think that they can stop anytime they want to when they can't. And they think nobody knows about it, and everybody does. <laughs> and everybody knew about her addiction. And she went to the well one day, and Jesus was sitting there, and they got in this conversation, and Jesus began to talk to her about things going on in her life that she only dreamed about. Things that were outside of her reach. There was no way she could, she could become that person. That living water? How would I ever, ever live with that? How, how could I get that? And then, whoa, he knew about her addiction. She was addicted to men. She had married five of them. And then she was living with one she wasn't married with. She just couldn't get along without a man. And Jesus knew that. Didn't condemn her. He knew it. And she finally said, you know, we know that someday the Messiah is coming and he's, he, he's going to talk like you. He's going to know things in my heart and know things about my life. And Jesus said, for the first time, I am the Messiah. Can you imagine? That woman, when Jesus came and called her name, she was never the same. She put down her water pot and ran into the village to the people that really had judged her. Maybe they didn't want their husbands around her, <laughs> didn't trust her. Or maybe they didn't want their kids around her. I mean, she had really re de destroyed her relationships. They, she, she ran to those people and told them everything Jesus had told her. Everything. Which includes talking about the addiction. And those people all went out, and the Bible says many of them accepted Christ because of her testimony. Isn't that amazing? If we were looking for people who could be 
witnesses for Christ, we certainly would probably draw a line through her name, but Jesus didn't. We would say to her, what in the world happened to you? She'd say, well, I just, I had to tell people about Jesus. I had to tell them what he had done for me. Jesus himself says, you're going to be my witnesses. Some of you will be a witnesses of a God who is confused when you say, I don't know what God's doing, and I don't know where God is, and I don't know, I don't know. What. Yeah, some of you will be a witnesses that way. Some of you will be a witnesses of, a, of an ashamed Jesus who says, well, I, I know him, but I don't want to talk about him, and I don't want to tell anybody because I'm afraid of what they're going to think. I mean, we will be witnesses because that's how people are rescued. There was a man born in England 300 years ago. He was the 18th child <laughs> born into his family. Can anybody top that? Yeah. Can you imagine? The 18th child. And I hate to admit it, but his dad was a preacher. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Ty, get going, man. <laughs> 18 kids. <laughs> He grew up going to church. He grew up praying every meal, every day. He, I mean, it was church in his home, 18 kids and mom and dad. If we said to him, Charles Wesley, <laughs> are you a Christian? He would say, well, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. In fact, I have to. Dad takes role church. I got to be there. Yeah, but has Christ made a difference in your life? Well, of course, I listen to those sermons every Sunday. In fact, I can probably tell you some of them by myself, by heart. Yeah, but that's not what I'm asking about. Has your life changed? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I don't do anything wrong because my folks will kill me if I do. In fact, when I went to Oxford, uh, they all kidded me because I was a straight guy. They called me the holy man, and it was embarrassing. Yeah, but Charles... Has Jesus made a difference in your life? Well, of course, man. I got a brother that's a big time preacher, and yeah, he's made a difference in all of our lives, you know? That's the answer a lot of us would identify with, right? I do everything right. When he was 28, Jesus came, called his name. He did not know how to respond to what happened to him. He experienced Jesus in a way that you just don't experience him hearing about him until you know him. So he sat down with a pen and began to write, and he wrote a first hymn, the first of 6,000 hymns. He's the guy we sing most of the time. Charles Wesley wrote, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who to his death pursued. And then he wrote these words, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's a heart that knows God. Christmas came and he wrote, Hark the herald angels sing, 
Glory to the newborn king. Easter came and Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. He couldn't praise him enough. And if he knew we were talking about what we're talking about today, he would say, oh, I should have saved a hymn for you. I wrote one about rescued to reach. It goes this way. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of my great Redeemer's praise. Jesus says that um, he gave us all this information so that our joy would be full. In fact, he said, I have come that you would have life and that you'd have it in its fullness. He talked about this amazing life that is available to us. We're not going to have it until we respond, obey, and start telling people about Jesus. We'll never have that amazing life promised. There was a boy born just before World War II. There was something wrong with him. He didn't respond to anybody. People would speak to him, he wouldn't respond. His parents spoke to him, he wouldn't respond. His um, people thought he was rebellious. Some people thought he might be uh, have some mental problems. His folks were told, you need to straighten that boy out. He's just rebellious. So punishment was there every time he didn't respond. And he had another problem. When he spoke, he mumbled and jumbled words came out and nobody could understand him. And they thought he might be tongue-tied or probably mentally retarded. They weren't sure what was wrong with him. When he was five, a doctor discovered his problem. He was deaf. He couldn't hear anybody. And what he could hear is what he repeated. And it didn't make any sense at all. And with some very minor surgery, he suddenly got his hearing. But he still couldn't speak. He began to learn words one at a time. He hadn't learned any of the early words. His sister became his interpreter at home. And when he was out in public, he just hid away. He didn't talk because people couldn't understand him. He finally learned to say his name, his own name, correctly when he was 13 years old. 13. It was the new life for him. He thought he could do anything now that he could say his name. Four years later, Jesus said his name and called him. He had nothing to offer Jesus. Nothing to offer Jesus. There was nothing he could do that fit into the role of any kind of serving Jesus. But he said yes. And when Jesus came and called his name, he was never the same. And he's standing in front of you today. That's me. Now let me tell you what happened. Because it's the secret to Peter's success. It's a secret to that guy across the sea's success. It's the secret to that woman at the well's success. It's the secret to, John, to Charles Wesley's success. And it is the reason I'm standing here today. And it's a personal story, but it's my personal experience. The day after I said yes to Jesus, the man who prayed with me came to me and said, Ron, I'm going out. I used to say Juan, Juan. I always put a W because lip reading is... I'm sorry, I'm a lip reader. <laughs> lip reading is a W instead of an R. So um, he would say, he said, Ron, I want you to go to the rescue mission with me on Saturday night. 
sounded like an adventure. I said, okay. Then he said, uh, and good, why don't you plan to read Scripture and pray? There was no way I could do that. There was just no way. And as I was mounting my response, which was, I, 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 I can't, can't. <laughs> as I was mounting that response, he walked away. So I went home and found this simple little passage of Scripture and wrote out a simple little prayer and worked all week practicing on other people so that they heard me speak it and they could understand me. And they said, yeah, you're saying that right. Yeah, you're saying that right. And I had it. Saturday night came. We took some girls with us who stood up and sang. Then I got up. I never looked at the crowd. My head was like this. And I had hair then, so it was not bald. <laughs> I looked like this. Never looked at the men sitting there. But I read my, my verse, and I prayed. I sat down, and I felt this rush of having done something for God. First time in my life. I had never done anything. And I felt this rush. My friend got up, started to preach, and as he started, he began to cough, a deep cough. And in no time, he was whispering. So he came back to me and said, hey, you got to finish my sermon. And I started to respond, and of course, it was back to the I, 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 I. He gave up, went back up, could not speak came back and said, just dismiss them. Because, you know, the men in the rescue mission come, they have to sit in a meeting, and then they get to eat. So all these guys wanted was get dismissed. It must have looked like a circus up there. And the guy said, just dismiss them, and sat down. So here it is. Rescue mission, church service, Saturday night. The two guys that are there are both sitting down behind the pulpit. The girls are sitting over there. Nothing's happening. I do not know to this day how I ended up at that pulpit. I do not know. I don't remember moving. I don't remember. I was so afraid. I had decided when I was about nine years old I would not cry anymore when people mocked me for what I, how I sounded. And there I stood in front of total strangers, probably about this number of people, crying. Oh. And I wasn't crying for me. As I, as I thought about it, I was crying because I wanted so badly to make God look good, and I didn't know how. Probably the same thing you feel. I did not know how. And looking down, I hadn't been listening to him, so I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and I looked down, and I, uh, I just whispered, Jesus, help me. I can still remember standing here talking to you today. Jesus, help me. And these two words came back to me. You've heard me give them on the devotional. Two words came back. As clear as if somebody was standing right here talking to me. It wasn't even a whisper. It was two words came that said, trust me. So I took a deep breath, still looking down, started talking about what I had done that week accepting Christ. The few words that I had learned to say correctly were the words that came to my memory. The words that I didn't know how to say never came. I didn't stammer. I didn't stumble. Several men accepted Christ that night. 
And it's been like that ever since. The Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart. That will make or break you. Don't ever trust yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Just live to acknowledge him in all your ways. And he will make your path straight. If you want to be somebody who reaches others, then you will fulfill the purpose for which you were rescued. You weren't saved just to escape hell. You were saved to be lights in a dark world. To help people become new creations. To let God establish them. You were saved to be a doer. There's a play out there that's fairly popular called Hamilton. It's the story of Alexander Hamilton. And he had some opportunities in his early days. I'm, I'm really glad he took them. He called them shots. I've got my shot. In fact, if you go to see the play or watch it on TV, you'll hear this song continually throughout. Every time an opportunity come, came, he said, I'm not going to throw away my shot. Today may be your shot. Maybe you've been planning for a long time to get serious about people you know who need to be rescued. You all know people like that. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for you to respond. Obey. The devil would never tell you who those people are. And to tell them about Jesus. And to do that, folks, you're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to trust him. There'll be every reason for you not to do that. But until you trust him, you'll never experience the fullness of life. Father, I want to thank you for giving us the fullness of life. I want to thank you for speaking to us and calling us, rescuing us, saving us. I want to thank you for using us to reach other people. Lord, we've been rescued to reach. May we glory in that, understand it, and take pride in it. And may we celebrate it every day, every opportunity. Lord, you've given us all a story. All of us have a story of when we were rescued and what happened since Jesus came and called my name, I've never, ever been the same. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name.